Hey, it's Tom Matthews from Return of the Living Dead and Friday the 13th, Part 6, to name a few. And you're listening to the Bean Joe Grizzly Podcast. Enjoy. What up, me militia? I'm Mean Joe Grizzly. When I'm not getting into the Christmas spirit by helping Santa take down a mercenary group, helping Drax and Manus kidnap Kevin Bacon, or facing off against a mechanized monster Santa, I'm hanging out at the Grizzly Cave, watching movies, reading comments, listening to metal, and of course, crushing beers. And I want to welcome y'all to the first annual Mean Joe Grizzly podcast Christmas special, featuring three Yuletide reviews that will certainly get y'all to the Christmas spirit. So let's kick this celebration off with possibly my new favorite Christmas action film. It's Santa vs. Mercenaries. Let's talk about Violent Night. This is Grizzly Grade Reviews. So, Mean Militia, what do you guys get when you combine Die Hard, Home Alone, and the Santa Claus? Sounds like you get a corny-ass, goofy movie. But what you really get is an instant classic full of balls-to-the-wall action, damn good comedy, a lot of Santa Claus lore, graphic violence, and most importantly, Christmas spirit. So, the story begins with the introduction of Santa Claus, drunk in a bar in England, (laughs) And he's seemingly drinking his frustration away due to the lack of Christmas spirit and belief of the modern world. Just no one believes in Christmas spirit anymore or Santa Claus. So he takes off to deliver presents and after puking on the bartender on his way out, he heads off to make his nightly deliveries. David Harbour is, he absolutely nails the disgruntled Santa. That's just going through the motions and drinking on the job passing out in the homes he's delivering presents to and it's it's hilarious like they could not have picked a better person to play this role and 
he starts making his rounds and then it cuts to this family and we're introduced to the Lightstones and their daughter Trudy. And the Lightstones are a couple that their marriage is on the rocks. And they're just going through the motions and and being there for their daughter. They really don't want to be around each other. They're just there. And they're going to their annual family Christmas party at this isolated estate of the wealthy host and family matriarch, Gertrude Lightstone, played by Beverly D'Angelo. Y'all might know her as the wife of Clark Griswold in National Lampoon's Vacation. And she is a bitch. <laughs> She's so terrible. And honestly, the entire family besides Trudy are all insufferable pieces of shit. Like, none of them are likable people. And all of them are just trying to get in Gertrude's good graces so they can take on her position in whatever business that she's a CEO of. So they get ready to tuck Trudy in to bed and she says to her dad that he never took her to see Santa at the mall this year. So he scrambles for a solution and her dad goes up and grabs these walkie talkies that he, him and his siblings played with when they were kids. And he hands her one and he tells her it's a direct line to Santa. And even though he might not answer, he was listening to her. And by this time, Santa had made his way to the Lightstone estate. But so has a group of mercenaries looking to steal the $300 million kept in the family vault. So Santa comes in, makes himself at home. He starts eating all the cookies left for him and drinking the high dollar liquor in their liquor cabinet. <laughs> And after taking a short nap in the massage chair filled with these flashbacks from his time as a Viking berserker on the battlefield thousands of years ago, he is greeted by one of the mercenaries and the two get into a scuffle and that leads to Santa to kill one of the mercenaries with the freaking star decoration on the tree and it is gnarly. It's at this time that Trudy takes this walkie-talkie in this most adorable moment and whispers into it, to it and says, Santa, there's bad people here and they're going to hurt me and my family. And Santa hears her pleas for help on the dead Merc's walkie-talkie and this sends him on a path to rescuing her and her family from these douches and it's the most bloody gore-fest way possible. It's freaking awesome. And I just wanted to take a step back and talk about the the little fever dreams that Santa, Santa keeps having when he's passing out. Uh, in this lore, they really go back to the Scandinavian roots of Santa Claus. And he used to be a Viking berserker. And yeah, I don't think there's any real concrete evidence that he was ever a, Vi a Viking berserker in real life. We just know that Santa Claus is a Scandinavian folklore figure. And, but I thought it was really cool how they they made him a retired berserker who now spreads joy to the world by giving presents to children all around the world. I want to start off with the positives and I think that probably the most interesting aspect of Violent Night is those Scandinavian roots of Santa Claus and the building of his, of his lore of him being this Viking berserker that at some point he met Mrs. Claus, he gained Christmas magic, and he became the red-suited white beard 
having big man that we all know and love today. It's just a it's just a unique way to keep the roots of the legend and add a little bit of badassery. And again, David Harbor, he he just has this perfect balance of ir- irritable middle aged man mixed with badass Viking warrior and all of the same time lacing it with all the Santa Claus lore that just gives you this honestly this believable take on Santa Claus as ridiculous as this movie sounds it it's actually pretty sincere and it works and like if there actually was a Santa Claus with the Christmas magic and everything this this would be it I, I, at least that's what I believe <laughs> I still believe in Santa <laughs> and the performers the, the performances all around are good like there's not a bad performance in this movie all the actors and actresses do fantastic job uh, especially John Linguizamo is the main villain with this bah humbug attitude that makes him like this perfect adversary for Santa to face off against and like I said before, the gore and the action was incredible, especially once Santa finds a sledgehammer and starts using it on these bad guys, him becoming like battle hungry because it reminds him of his old Warhammer. It was so badass and a sight to see. And you, you don't want to fuck with Santa. <laughs> There's also a, a clear homage to home alone in this movie and one scene where trudy has made these homemade traps for the bad guys and one was particularly gruesome and it proves that if kevin would have kevin would have definitely killed harry and marv with his traps and finally the movie is quite compelling and sincere especially when it shouldn't have been it it should it should have been this goofy mess of a movie that that doesn't work and it but it does on so many levels and it's also funny as hell and that's one of the things that surprised me because no comedy nowadays just either gets me or it doesn't and i haven't had solid runs of comedic relief or just a good comedy in a very long time and this movie works they it's this movie's funny i laughed out loud several times and so did everybody in the theater that i went and seen this with now as as far as the negatives go i don't have a whole lot of complaints the only one really i have is being the majority of what i have with with films that are released today is it was too long it could have been easily an hour and a half and at times in the beginning it it drags a little bit in pace but man that's that's it that's all the complaints that i have i don't have any i don't have any other complaints it was just a little too long and and it affected the pacing a little bit but what's the final verdict Violent Night combines elements from Die Hard, Home Alone, and the Santa Claus with the Scandinavian roots of the Man in Red to create an instant classic. David Harbour provides a perfect performance as Santa Claus for a modern-day Christmas epic filled with action, blood, gore, and gut-busting laughs. 
Violet Knight gets a 4 out of 5 and is grizzly grade guaranteed. Go see it in theaters. Now let's head over to the giant floating celestial head in space known as Nowhere and see what Star-Lord and the Guardians of the Galaxy are doing to celebrate the holiday season. It's Christmas time in Nowhere and the residents are trying to get into the Christmas spirit even though they have no idea what Christmas is. They only know what Peter Krill has told them. Mantis and Drax are hanging out and she reveals that Ego the Living Planet is her father and that makes Peter her brother. She wants to tell him, but she doesn't know how to go about it. So she decides that she will give Peter a present and then tell him the truth. So they decide to get Peter the most important thing in his life. Someone who is very special to him. Someone who has gotten him through the good times and the bad times. And no, it's not Gamora. That person is Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so they set off the earth to kidnap Kevin Bacon to give it to Peter Quill for Christmas. And this was hilarious. And I'm going to make something very clear because I know that I'm going to sound like a hypocrite if I don't clear this up. I do prefer the more serious tone for my comic book movies with a little bit of comic release sprinkled in. I do, however think that the Guardians of the Galaxy works as a comedy because it's well written and it's well directed and it fits the characters something like Thor on the other hand is he's not a joke character and it doesn't work as a comedy like you just end up making him goofy as hell looking at you Thor Love and Thunder and Thor Ragnarok but I digress. It's Christmas time. I don't need to go on any rants. But in any case, this is funny as hell. And it's it's not all laughs. There's some there's some heartwarming moments in, in this. And they're shown in these two animated scenes that open and close the special. These are like flashback scenes where Peter is telling King whatever what's his name? Craglin? Craglin, that's his name telling Craglin about Christmas and they're making a tree and they're getting presents together when Yondu walks in and tells him to throw everything away because Ravagers don't give, give gifts or celebrate no damn Christmas. Then in the second segment that comes out at the end, Yondu is alone and is ravaging through the thrown away tree and all the garbage and stuff and he sees a present that Peter was going to give him and this warms his heart and he ends up putting the tree back up in Peter's room and giving him a present and that present was Peter's two element blasters that he wields on a daily basis proving once more that Yondu was a damn good father to Peter and both of those two segments were definitely the best parts for me and they're they're in this old school animation style that kind of looks that kind of looks like not necessarily early Disney but it just looks like it's something from like the 60s or the 70s and it, and it look it fits it fits the the narrative of this special it was it was really good and then there's this heartwarming ending when mantis tells her secret and reveals that she is peter's sister it was great they the the whole situation with peter i'm Ego is, is, is my dad. And Peter's like, well, then that makes you my sister. And now I find out I have a sister. 
And that is the best Christmas gift for them all. And it was really, really good and touching and just very well done. And it's just a really good and positive Christmas special. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think that Marvel should do more stuff like this. It, it tells good world building stories that aren't too overwhelming and it doesn't require you to watch an entire season to get a little bit of story and it very it's very much like the one-shot comics that marvel and dc do which is going to bring me to the positives the comedy hits and feels organic it's not forced like the majority of the mcu and i felt like that james gunn just knows how to do the the mix the comedy and the action and he done it with the Suicide Squad. He done it with all the first two Guardians movies. And I have no doubt he continued to bring us this perfect balance and this perfect mix in, in Guardians Volume 3. And the whole plot and the story is just very well done. And, and it makes total sense. If you, if you know the characters and their personalities and their motivations, then it's just perfect. It's, it's, it's perfect that they... It's perfect that they would that they would as Mantis and Drax would go down to Earth and kidnap Kevin Bacon just to give him give him to Peter for a present, especially Drax. That whole sequence is hilarious. They gotta break into his house and just take him by force. He likes, he's running down his, his driveway and they just chase him down and Mantis does her little stuff with her with her emotional control. It, it's hilarious. You gotta check it out. And I think that the runtime is perfect. Just like I stated before, these little one hour, one shot movies is perfect. And just as I stated before, these, these features, these features, they just, they, they feel like one shot comics to me. And the format is perfect for stuff like this and world building. The animated segments in the opening and the closing of the special are just, they're fantastic. And like I stated before, they're possibly the best part of the special for me. As far as the negatives go, I don't really have any complaints. I guess the only thing I can say that I would change is I would have more of those animated scenes in it. Like, or hell, make the entire thing animated. But what's the verdict? The Gardens of the Galaxy are back just in time for the holidays to deliver a tale that will surely get you into the Christmas spirit. With great performances, a hilarious plot, and heartwarming scenes, this will be a welcome addition to your yearly holiday watch list. The Gardens of the Galaxy Holiday Special gets a 4 out of 5 and is Grizzly Grey guaranteed. Alright, now that we got all the warm and fuzzy stuff out of the way, it's time to see the darker side of Christmas. The bloodier side. Let's move on to some metal and a slaying Santa with Christmas Bloody Christmas. Christmas Bloody Christmas is the latest film from Joe Begos, a indie and straight to streaming director known for some pretty modern horror classics like Bliss, which is a pretty interesting take on vampires that I really enjoyed. It's a, it is like an acid trip though, just letting you know <laughs> and vfw which is like this gritty it skate from new york style 80s grindhouse type of action movie or invasion movie where these veterans are held up in this in this uh 
VFW and this street gang is trying to invade and break in. They're all hyped up on this drug, this, this radical street drug. I recommend both of those. Both of those are really good. But Christmas Blade Christmas takes place on Christmas Eve in some small town that's covered in snow and is about to be terrorized by this malfunctioning animatronic Santa Claus that goes on a rampage with our main character Tori, a record store owner and heavy metal fanatic caught in the middle of all the bloodshed and this movie was a great addition to the Christmas horror genre it's got the cheesy premise laced with horrific gore and all tied together with with a variety of heavy metal styles on this great soundtrack uh, it's it's if y'all know me personally or you've been listening to the show long enough soundtrack is right up my alley <laughs> the the characters are very 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 relatable but at times they're very over the top especially one of the cop characters when that guy shows up in the third act he is ridiculous but the characters of Tori and Robbie are very relatable to me being like a fellow metalhead their conversations about bands and music while crushing beers and taking shots are definitely things that I've done thousands of times uh, those two are definitely to me the two most likable characters of the movie the rest are just pray for the slaying Santa robot they're all cannon fodder and that kind of sucks but I'll get to that in the negative section uh, the Santa bot is very very well done I should say slaying Santa robot or or slaying Santa or something because saying Santa bot real class sounds like Cenobite <laughs> but uh, the Santa bot is very well done they gave it this human-esque face but kept it just enough like a doll that you can tell that it's not human like the when you see the face on the robot it looks like it's porcelain but it moves like a like a normal human face it just it's really eerie looking uh and it also gives the it, they also give it these very fluid movements at times like in the time like where he's actually in motion but it's in the same sense it it's hard it's really hard to explain but it, it's very robotic like in its movements when it's about to like start making a move if that makes any sense like when it decides that it's going to pick something up it looks very robotic but when it's walking it's very fluid in its motion so they did a good job of making making that it look like human light and very clearly that it is a machine and this Santa bot is a literal killing machine that is relentless and it's very reminiscent of the Terminator but with l no emotion at all and he takes out everyone like no one is safe from this thing and then we get to the gore the gore is horrendous in the best way and it seems like they they most likely used majority practical effects and 
they look very gnarly. Not quite the level of like Terrifier 2 or Terrifier, but very close. So let's go over and let's talk about the positives. I think that the two main characters are solid and have a have great chemistry. And like I stated before, me being a fan of heavy music, I can definitely relate to Tori and Robbie. Uh, the Santa Robot is effective and menacing. I wouldn't say it's scary, but it's definitely menacing. The music is great, and I love all the different styles of metal that they integrated into the soundtrack. It shapes the tone of the film and the atmosphere very well. And last but not least, the gore is spectacular. It's it's not as good as like the gore we got in like Terrifier, but it's very close. And just some very well done practical effects. Now on to the negatives. The support cast is very, very forgettable, and honestly, they're just bad. The they serve no purpose other than to be slaughtered, which segues into my next point. This movie follows the standard slasher formula and with there being a lot of throwaway characters that are just there to die and it's part of the formula. But I feel like that we've we've had so many good slashers nowadays that that shouldn't be the case anymore. The time of the overabundance of cannon fodder characters should be over. And it just... It, it jumps into that with both feet. It doesn't hold back. It just goes straight for that standard slasher formula. And that's not something that this movie is... The, the, it, ain't, it ain't something that this, this movie is... This is the only movie known for doing that. But nevertheless, they did. There's other movies doing this. This one, this one's not the only one in the modern day, but I just felt like that they should have went in a different direction instead of just, you know, let's do what they, everybody else did. And, and maybe I'm being too harsh about it, but it's definitely a trope that needs to be put to bed. We, we got, I understand having maybe one or two cannon fodder characters, but when damn near the whole cast is, there's only two characters that aren't, and that, to me, that's that makes it empty. And this is coming from a guy who loves 80 slashers, and that's all there is in 80 slashers, but Cannon Fodder. That's especially Friday the 13th. Just people there for Jason to kill. They have hardly any development or personality. And I don't know why, but there are times in the movie where the dialogue between Tori and Robbie seems to go on forever. Ever and I enjoy their dialogue. That that's what doesn't make any sense to me. I enjoy the back and forth between both of those characters because they're talking about shit that I like to talk about. Bands, metal, you know, it's great. I do, I do. It, it does form a chemistry with them, and I do see that both of them generally, you know, like each other and stuff. But. It just seems like those scenes go on forever. There's like scenes where they're walking down the street and they're talking and they don't, it doesn't seem like they breathe. And maybe it's an editing thing. I don't know, but it, it does have some pacing issues, but when you look at the runtime, it doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. Cause it doesn't, it, the pacing does not match 
the runtime. I think the runtime is like a an hour and 38 minutes. That's perfect. An hour and a half is the perfect time for a movie. Unless you're going for a, an epic like Blade Runner or Lord of the Rings. Movies should be an hour and a half long. Really an hour and 20, 20 minutes. And for some reason this movie felt like it took longer. I don't know why. I, I don't know. Just something with the pace. Maybe it was the editing. I don't know. But what is the verdict? Christmas Bloody Christmas is a welcome addition to the Christmas horror genre. Its Christmas backdrop has a metal lace soundtrack giving it the perfect atmosphere for the display of Yuletide gore delivered by the menacing Robo Santa. It does have some pacing issues and the inability to break away from the old slasher trope of throwaway support characters, but it still manages to be an entertaining gore fest wrapped up in a nice Christmas package. Christmas Bloody Christmas gets a three and a half out of five and is Grizzly Grade guaranteed. Check it out now. It's streaming on Shudder. And if you are a horror fan and you don't have Shudder, you're really missing out. It's got so much stuff for us to watch, including Christmas Bloody Christmas. So do yourself a favor, get Shudder, watch Christmas Bloody Christmas. And with that, we're going to bring this episode to an end. Thank you all so much for y'all's continued support and patience. Without y'all, the show is not possible. I want to give a shout out to Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. His music is amazing and is what I use as my background music throughout each episode, as well as the music that I use for my intro and outro tracks. So check out his music at White Bat Audio on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and also follow the show on all social media platforms and more importantly join my mean militia by joining the official facebook group the mean joe grizzly mean militia i hope y'all enjoy this special holiday episode i'm going to be coming back with my best of 2022 episode to finish the year out so don't forget to stay tuned for that next week hope that all of y'all and the Mean Militia have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. But until next time, remember, I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas!